This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, we're back with another Matt Loss special. We uh, brought in the big hitter after this little bit of a slide. What is it? Lost three of the last four, Matt, is the current form situation. So uh, I think we've got some different stuff to talk about, especially now that we're in December. Transfer window's already being pegged about, but we're going to stay away from it for now. All right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's try and stay away from the transfer window as much as we can. I'm sure it'll be impossible, but let's try as much as we can. Promise. Um, <laughs> what we did want to, you know, we've got a lot of stuff to being talk about. Obviously, we can talk a little bit about the match. Um, you know, the last two matches haven't been good. Obviously, United, um, and then I've already like blanked like who we lost to at the weekend because it's just not going well. Um, who like help me out? Who did we just play? Everton. That's right. I, I like Everton, I, Man United before that. Easy to a win forget against Goodison. Brighton before that. Yeah. <laughs> easy to forget yeah. about Goodison. Um, but anyways, we've got that. Obviously, you've had the piece out about the the bad year that we've had because I don't speak Latin, so I don't want to butcher it. Uh, then as well as kind of like what is kind of the thoughts going in. Obviously, you had the piece that just came out about the team bonding, and I'll be interested just to kind of learn a little bit more about that. So I think we've got a bunch here to start with. But let's go back to Everton real quick. Yes. Uh, Poch made four changes. Uh Reese James coming out in the 26th minute. Fitness still an issue at 26. The club sent an unbelievably frustrating push notification to my phone this morning saying, hey, we have an update on Reese. It's that he's starting a rehabilitation program. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, in fairness to them, look, I'm not going to sit here and defend the club for the next hour because that, that would be tricky. In fairness to them on that, I know there's been a lot uh, around and tweeted by people about various time lengths. They're not. They they don't have a, a length on it. I mean, it's clear he's going to be out for months. He's going to be be out for a while. It could be two months. It could be four months. It could be more. They could end up still doing surgery on him. They're not at that stage to confirm that yet. Um, and I think they felt they knew that people were going to start writing about it, so they felt they had to put some sort of statement out personal view is given how little that statement said maybe you don't need to put the statement out but I get I get why there's so little said in it because I've been speaking to people around Reese, around the club around the medical team and they can't put a time frame on it and they can't be more specific yet um so that's why that is such a vague statement but he's he's out for a while um and they're not they're not operating on him yet um but I don't think that's been fully ruled out either yet. Um, certainly not as we speak here on, on Tuesday afternoon. So, yeah, it's bad news. I think the best way to put it is it's just bad news. Ended up having three players come off to injury, which I think Cucurella, A, twisted his ankle in the match. Like, those things happen. You know, no big deal. Sanchez had the knock from United, continued to play. I think, you know, like, there are gambles, right? My understanding is that medical staff diagnosed, come up with a plan, report back to the coaching staff to say, hey, here's where we think they're at. Here are the consequences if they play, or we think they, they could probably risk it. And then ultimately, it's up to the coaching decision whether or not to put those players out or not. Is that how you understand it as well? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I do think Pochettino um, and Jesus Perez are more careful than a lot of managers. And it might not look it at the moment because of the injury list. But if you look at the way they have actually tried to manage Reese, they were being extremely careful with him. Um, 
probably to his frustration as well when when they weren't necessarily starting him um, when he thought he was ready. So uh, they are actually two of the more careful sort of head coach and assistants. They they tend to go with the advice rather than uh, try out painkillers or try to push it or risk it too much. So that's why I'm a little bit surprised at the fact that the injury situation has continued to be as bad as it is because they will generally go with what they're told. And if they're told a player's in a red zone, they will dip him out. They will have them on the bench, things like that. But yes, you're right. Basically how it works is that the medical staff put forward a recommendation and then it's up to the coaching staff whether or not they they take that recommendation and how far they take that recommendation. I, I guess that's what's tough with like Reese. Obviously, you know, I think a lot of fans are just frustrated. He's captain. He's played, I think, less than 400 Premier League minutes, which is like around less than 20% of available minutes. Obviously had a long spell out last season. Um, it's it's the recurring injuries with him for sure. Um, and so I'm gl- I don't know. I, don't, I shouldn't say I'm glad to hear you say that surgery is at least being thought about, but it seems like a long term, much more permanent solution, like is is gonna help him. I like, and you're an England national team fan. Like not having him around obviously affects England and stuff like that, and his ability to not be there. Um, he he's a massive miss for this team right now in, in terms of leadership and on field quality. Yeah, he is a massive miss for the team. Um, I, I personally think that maybe when people look at this overall, that maybe he should have had surgery sort of nine months ago, something like that. There's been there's been a constant desire from both the club and Reese to try and not have surgery and to keep kind of coming back and coming back. And look, they might decide that he, he doesn't have surgery again this time. I, and I'm not a medical expert. I, I only... I'm, I'm talking on just sort of how I read it. And the, the, you would read it as is that long-term surgery might be a safer, better option for him and, and take some short-term pain and be out a bit longer for hopefully long-term gain because it just feels like the same thing keeps happening over and over and over and over again, which, you know, is a very definition of madness. So, yeah, I mean, certainly if, if there's any advice for surgery, I'd have thought they would would take it this time i've got to say that that seems to be the noise that if if he does definitively at any stage this time get told you should really have surgery i, I don't think they'll shy away from that this time but they they don't seem to be told it just yet you know and again not trying to be experts it's just the the frustration of fans here in, in that um you know he's 24 uh actually just turned 24 a few days ago uh happy birthday reese and um he's got a long career ahead of him we just want to see him beat his fit what about lineup and kind of approach to this so obviously Pochettino made four changes Gallagher's back Reese is back um you know went with Cucurella on the on the left uh with Disassi and Benoit and yeah the center backs was interesting I thought that was a very definitive sort of attempt to counter the aerial threat of of Everton which you know before the game I wrote about Pochettino talked about it there was there was a definite uh, worry uh, over the aerial threat. In fact, I was actually surprised that, that Colwell didn't play because of that, um, that he didn't play at left-back. But the two centre-backs, that pair in that game seemed very much designed for that game and the, the threat of Calvert-Lewin and, and maybe others at set-pieces didn't really work out, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's... he's changing a lot and I've, I've got to say nothing's really sticking or coming off despite the the encouraging little burst they had against sort of Tottenham and Manchester City Raheem dropped this time 
Broya comes in. I think nobody would have really argued against him having a go, but he didn't really do a lot. Um, yeah, as I say, nothing's really sticking. It's it's hard to know. We're back to a situation. I thought after after Tottenham and Man City, we would get into a stage where I could name Chelsea's first choice eleven, and it feels like we've taken a few steps back on that again. And I I couldn't confidently name the first choice eleven now because of just the way it's gone lately. Even the bright the way the Brighton game went, it was a chaotic game and it was it was a good victory for them, but it wasn't any within that you would sort of. Uh, say necessarily put down building blocks for the season. It was just a bit of a chaotic match. Right. And that's what I was going to go into. It seems like Poch is, you know, trying to get into the main management a little bit, dropped, uh, you know, Nico Jackson potentially, uh, obviously went with Broya, as you said, dropped, you know, Reese, continuing to kind of stick with Mudrick for a little bit. Cucurella seems to have come in some favor. I mean, because he'll play right back even at these points. So, uh, you know, the midfield is the midfield. Like when they're all fit, it's just a matter of like who plays where. So, you know, like I said, just trying to to kind of figure out like where his squad is at. There's injuries and things. I know he likes to keep talking about it, but I mean, you know Poch really well. Um, I I I so I'm sure you know this, Matt, but a lot of the Chelsea fan base is you're either and you're you're either blaming Pochettino right now or you're blaming the players, and nobody's happy with the ownership. <laughs> so that <laughs> that's how that's how it's split. But I, I tend to think that Poch is struggling with players making mistakes, not executing, and then other people say, well, he should be leveling them up and training what's happening. You know Poch better than than all of us. Yeah, I mean, look, Pochettino is struggling more than I thought he would be. He's struggling in the same way that Graham Potter was struggling. It's got to be said. I mean, if you look at their records, they're incredibly similar. Um, in fact, Graham, Graham Potter started better than, than Pochettino started, and Graham's problems came sort of after a good start. Um, but Pochettino has, has sort of never really got any momentum going. Um, I think it's a lot of the same things. It's different players, but it's still the inexperience, whether it be through age or whether it be through playing in the league. It's the having to chop and change. It's the deciding to chop and change. It's playing players where a lot of people would feel they're out of position. Remember Graham Potter would play Raheem Sterling around a wing back, and there's been debate around Pochettino's use of Colwell his use at sort of Cucurella on the right side. Uh, so I, I think it's lots of similar problems. But I mean, you know, it's been like this for a year now. You know, I, I wrote about the piece about 2023. It's 39 points in 39 games in 2023, which is absolutely hideous record. And it's all the same thing. It's the not goal scoring. It's the silly mistakes. It's the silly decisions, both by players and by some of the management and it's just a recurring theme. And so it is hard to know how much to level at Pochettino. It's hard to know if it's all the stra transfer strategy. It's very hard to sort of point fingers. It's very confusing, to be honest with you, to, to know why and where. Because it is, again, it'd be more easy to analyse if, again, this was happening with the same players who were who were sort of performing like this with Potter. And while it's some of the same players, it's a very different team to Potter's team. So you'd, you'd have thought there'd be differences there, but there aren't. Um, it's a melee that, that's been going on, a, a chaos that's been going on all through the whole of 2023. It, it has. And I think that's also a, a bit of a concern. You know, I do lean into kind of the, the project, right, and the sporting directors and the recruitment policy over the last 12 months, really, at this point, 
you know, they've gone young, putting a lot of bets on players. You know, outside of Tiago Silva, you know, Chilwell was a little bit older in comparison to the squad. Obviously, Raheem Sterling is a is a veteran player. The, it, it, it seems like some of those game management and, like, the decision-making late on, like, even Nico Jackson's, like, kind of getting into a, a fight at the end of the match. And, again, I don't know what was said to him. He might have been provoked and things like that. But, like, the amount of cautions as well, like, that's another thing that's brought up is, like, discipline within this team. And, yeah. and if he's really able to hold this group and, like, drive them to a direction, it seems like it's um, it's been tricky this season. <laughs> yeah, and it's immaturity because, you know, I think the players recognize a, a need to show fight and to show character. And when it goes badly in terms of the match result, they they show that through actually becoming aggressive and actually losing their discipline. And that's a real immaturity. Um, and it doesn't feel like there's anyone really there to sort of get them together and, and stop that, you know. We've got we've got young captains in that team. We've got Thiago Silva, who doesn't really speak enough English. And we've got Raheem, who, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to play that role, um, even though he's captain teams in the past. So there's no one there really pulling them together and, and, and telling them how they should and shouldn't behave and what they should and shouldn't be doing and how to show that to show that sort of mentality. And really you've got to, I think Pochettino's spoken about being both a coach, a professor, as he likes to say, and a, a teacher and all that. And he's having to sort of take that all on himself, but he's obviously finding it difficult to translate that from the, the touchline when he, he's not on the pitch. Um, it's, yeah, it's there's so much, there's so much sort of wrong at the moment and so much to sort out. It, it is hard to know where to start. Um, I think Pochettino would admit he could be, be would and could like to be doing better. I I thought he would be doing better by now. I wrote Pete. I would say I wrote pieces before the season that this wasn't going to be an easy turnaround. It wasn't going to be suddenly challenging for top four. I was always thinking it was going to be sort of seventh and eighth, and a really good season would be would be sixth. But I thought it would be better than it is now, and I thought we'd be more further down the road of knowing the direction of travel of the team now than than what we are but look he's, he's he's also i mean i thought he made a point on friday where he talked about someone was trying to ask him about why caicedo and fernandez haven't made quite as much of an impact as someone say like De declan rice and, and stuff like that and he was talking about the fact that declan rice is basically the cherry on the top for arsenal that all the foundations are there and, and declan rice was coming in to be the cherry on the top which he feels is a lot easier the way the club operated over the summer in terms of getting rid of everybody and kind of starting again is, I get why they did that, but also it's been very clear and it's shown up that there's been no foundation. So nobody's been able to come in on any foundations and they're all having to sort of build this team together at the same time. And I mean that by the players as well and the players stepping into it and even players who have sort of survived from last season, like Enzo Fernandez, having to start all over again with no foundations underneath them and, it feels like that's taken a real toll on on what they've been trying to do. I even think it's different from from what Pochettino had at, at, at Tottenham. I do think there were some foundations already at Tottenham when he, when he was bringing young players in and, and stuff there. I think it's a different project from that. And remember at Tottenham, there was no expectation at Tottenham to win. If you finished sixth at Tottenham when Pochettino started at Tottenham, he actually finished higher than that. But obviously, had he finished sixth, that would just be seen as a major major success um 
and he talks a lot about the culture of winning at, at, at Chelsea. And I think he talks about it maybe as being a bit of an obstacle in that you don't have that freedom to have a, a, a time where you can just sort of say sixth or eighth would actually be a, a good result because that's not Chelsea and it's not being Chelsea, but maybe it's Chelsea's reality now. A hundred percent. He did hint in his presser that there's more going on kind of behind the scenes that he can't talk about as well. We've obviously documented the amount of ripping and replacing that Bully and Bedad had gone through with this club. It seems like there's still a lot of that going on. Yeah, there's still a lot of change. I mean, I I, I wouldn't want to name them because it wouldn't be fair to them because they're not public figures um, and they haven't given their consent for me to name them. Um, but there are just lots of very normal staff at Chelsea still changing. There, there are people, there's someone at Chelsea uh, who's been there 18 years who's going to be mo- leaving in the next week who I don't think wants to leave. It's just part of the, the shift and the turn. And the and I think there's a lot of that. And like I say, these are just normal people. These aren't, that's why I won't name them. They're not public figures. If it's a public figure, I would name them. If I had their consent, I'd name them. But there's a lot of very normal staff members still leaving the building after l- long long time at Chelsea and again it it, it does contribute when it, it might not contribute to results as such but it, it contributes to like you say what's going on in the background the general feeling at the club the the culture of the club it, it completely talks to all of that there's, there's been too much of it as well there has been too much of it I, I get some of it but there's been too much of it it's 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 weighed heavily on the club this last year there's been way too much change well, I mean, we, yeah, we've kind of talked about it since they came in, right? And revolutionizing the club and things. And it's just the the, the fluidity hasn't gotten there. And uh, so I, I just thought it was interesting that Poch kind of dropped that note in his presser. But uh, anyways, we're going to take our first ad break. When we get back, a lot more to talk about. Uh, so thank you to the sponsors to move right back. What is going on, Chelsea fans? Exciting announcement. Uh, we have joined up with Team Manscaped again for this holiday season. That's right. We are back with Manscaped. I know how much you love their ads before, so we are going to partner up with them again this holiday season. If you're looking for a gift to upgrade your daily care routine, right? check out the brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. That's right. We got the, the new one here. So, as you are used to uh, with these trimmers, it is skin safe technology. We got the dual head system, waterproof. You can use it in the shower, uh, USB-C, quick charge option, dual temp LED spotlight, and it's got a travel lock. So the kit that we are recommending you get is the 5.0 Ultra. Comes with the razor itself, comes with two of the combs, and then it also comes with the foil blade. You've got all options here that comes with it. Now check this thing out. It is built great, nice and sturdy, good weight to it. You can hear, you got some good RPMs in there. Check out the light for those of you on YouTube. That's right, you got two different uh, brightnesses on there that you have. Uh, the other reason we love Manscaped is that uh, they are part of the Testicular Cancer Society, right? They save balls. They're all about helping men uh, with their daily grooming routines as well as what they're going through life. So we appreciate them and everything they do. Check it out. Again, Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Link in the description. Check it out. Link in the description. Let them know that you came to them through London is Blue so that they can continue a partnership with us. Check them out. All right, so we're going to put that match behind us because I need to. 
Uh, as you can tell by the beginning of the pod, I already had Matt. <laughs> so I completely blanked on Everton. Um, but you talked about the Chelsea players uh, had a team bonding night out in London yes. on Sunday. It was led by Reese James, approved by Pochettino. So no scandals here. Um, and I guess I'll let you kind of tee it up. You have the, the yeah. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll describe what happened. I mean, it was it was originally arranged as a Christmas night out. It'd been arranged for a while. You know, they have to look carefully at this, the playing schedules and the training schedules. So this would have been pre-planned for a few weeks. It might have even been pre-planned when when things were, you know, looking up a little bit. Um, and hence it was put into the diary. Obviously, it can't be next week. There's a midweek game. Um, there was a midweek game last week. So this was the obvious week to do it. So it was pre-planned. It was pre-planned as a Christmas do. Um, now, clearly, with the results, I think there was probably... Uh, well, I know there was a little bit of doubt over whether to go ahead with it. And, you know, checks were made again, both after the Man United game and in the aftermath of the Everton game, whether it was still going to happen. And the view from uh, Reese's side, who was kind of as captain put in charge of this, was that he thought it would be good for morale and spirit and a chance to use it as a bonding session more so than a Christmas do. And the club agreed with that. You know, it was put to the club. It was put to Pochettino. They didn't just go ahead with it, you know, willy-nilly and decide, oh, we'll just do this, whatever. And, you know, hopefully no one will really notice. It was all discussed. And the nature of the night became different. It wasn't a celebration, which it was going to be. It was going to be like a Christmas celebration. It wasn't a celebratory night uh, from the bits I know about it. Uh, even though the, the sort of nuts and bolts of it stayed the same. They went to a very trendy restaurant. Some of them went off to a very trendy nightclub. It wasn't a celebratory night, though. It, it became more about let's get together, let's all... I don't think there was like a massive inquest into discussing what's been going on, but let's just use it as a way of trying to get to know each other a little bit, try to... Like just any team bonding session, you know, but lots of companies have them. Um and I think it was used as that. And it was viewed within the club as being a positive, what they hoped, let's say, they can't say it's been a positive thing because we don't know how it plays out. What they hoped would become a positive thing in terms of building relationships and keeping a bit of spirit. It was felt that going out together, eating together, being with one another was better than all just sloping off home and wallowing. Pochettino loves, what I would say, Pochettino as a staff, loves team dinners, loves barbecues. He's quite into all of this. Um, so it's not a surprise that he would see the positive element of it um, rather than punishing, using the whip, telling people to go home and basically be miserable, quite an old-fashioned way of doing things. I, I think we can see as well it probably wasn't too celebratory by the fact there's not been any photographs appear. Um Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not all across Instagram and things like that, but I haven't seen any photographs appear on players' Instagrams, on players' Twitters because of it. I haven't seen any pictures in the newspapers, on websites. Had it been a celebratory sort of wild Christmas night out, I think you'd see pictures because players can't help themselves and there'd be stuff on Instagram or there'd be stuff appear on Snapchat or even the newspapers would have got them. You know, these are trendy spots where newspaper photographers hang out to get pictures of celebrities. We haven't had pictures of them falling out places. We haven't had pictures like we had of Noni Madueke in a club sort of surrounded by people all dancing away and stuff like that. So that, again, 
leads me to believe what I'm told, that it was more team bonding than celebratory Christmas go mad type thing. And look, people have their own views. If I was a PR expert advising them beforehand, I would maybe say, look, be aware of when this, this comes out, because it will come out, it always does, is that some people won't like this. Even however much you say it's team bonding, some people won't like it. You've just lost a game. 2023 has been gone down the toilet, let's face it, football-wise. Some people will not like it. And I'd say, if I was in PR, you've got to be aware of that. You run the risk of that. You've got to decide whether you're comfortable with that. From a human element, you know, I've never had a problem. As long as they're not misbehaving, as long as it's all within the rules and they're, it's it's all been signed off. I've never had a problem with footballers having a life and going out. The the idea that they should lose a game and all all sit down and think about how terrible they've been, I've I've never bought into that. So I don't have a problem with it. I get why, on a PR perspective, some people might not think it looks brilliant, but you know, hey, I got to live with that. I think it's the there's like two ways Poch can go about this, as you just said, right? Crack the whip, continue to focus on the the bad run, the poor form, all of these things, and just kind of like echo it. To be fair, that was my rash reaction in the pod of like, no days off, back in, let's go. When I when I do pause and think about it, when we're in college, I hate to say it, but like anytime uh there was like team riff, a night out like solved everything, right? Because it just lifts the spirits. You no longer care about those problems and you're just enjoying uh just time with everybody. Um, so I I I get that. And I think like with your potch, you might as well try it because you can always go the other way. But once you go the yeah. other way, you can't then be like, oh, no, go for a night out. He's already kind of like made his decision. So in hindsight, kind of with a little bit more time reading your article, it, it does make sense. And I can see it from his side of it. I mean, we all remember the the barbecue at the, at the beginning of the season. That is kind of like Podge's go-to thing. But once you crack the whip, you can't go back. And I, I'm sure he knows that as well and probably wants to push that off as long as he can and hope he can resolve it with... Uh, I also I also think, actually, um, you're right. You are very right, by the way. Um, but I also think the last couple of weeks or the last week or so um, since the... Oh, gosh. What was the defeat ahead of Brighton? Uh, like you say, three and four. I'm, I'm losing track of my games like you are. Yeah, I, and I'm the, only following one team, but we've got Newcastle, but another red card, lost 4-1. Yeah, after the, after the Newcastle game, I think there was quite a strict week because mm. um, I do think from what I hear after the Newcastle game, the training ground, I know the pictures on the websites will always make it look so, but I don't think it's quite the fun, bubbly place maybe it had been previously to the Newcastle game. So maybe, again, maybe that's come into the thinking. But look, I, it'll be interesting what he says about it on Friday. And it'll also now be interesting. They've got Sheffield United at home. Let's face it, they've got to respond. Um, and New manager bounce, has... just one. Of course they did, Matt. Like, <laughs> Hopefully hopefully we see the, the fruits of this night. And like you say, you know, they will go into training. They'll have gone into training today. Um and instead of sort of all moping around about the Everton game, there'll probably be a bit of fun about what was said and what happened on this night out. Different kind of vibe that it might have been. And let's hope that that proves to be positive. But yes, um, it's very important to stress that that nobody just arranged this and, and went for it without the club's permission and Pochettino's permission. And as I say, the fact we haven't seen any pictures shows that they weren't all just responding to a defeat by going out on the lash and 
dancing on tables and things. It, it wasn't that kind of evening, I don't think. And I hope I'm not proved wrong on that by pictures that subsequently emerge. But that is what I'm told. I haven't seen anything, but, you know, I've never been to uh, the Bagatelli restaurant in Mayfair, London, nor the Tape Nightclub. So Nor have I. I. And I don't oh, think okay. I'll ever go, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next time we're over, Matt, we'll uh, we'll rally Naz and, and we'll t- we'll see. You know, we we already did the pool party, so we got to double up. Yeah, N- N- Naz strikes me as more a tape guy from what I hear of it than I am. Amazing. Um, so another thing that we had kind of coming out about this is, um, I think right after the match, you had said, um, well, on December 7th, you said, why it's time for Chelsea's owners to ditch the script, start talking, let the fans inside the ropes. Wasn't this from the holiday party inside the club where like Bully was kind of sectioned off and didn't even speak publicly, only had written notes? Yeah, I I used that as the example. Um, By the way, their table were as surprised as everyone else that they were behind ropes and behind security guards. Um, Okay. So I don't quite, and I haven't had an explanation as to how it quite came about like that, but it, it, it was a little bit weird, albeit they still, if people got to them, they still managed to sort of say hello and, and have photos and stuff. I thought I thought once Bowley was at the, the do, which I thought was good, by the way, um, you know, the, the previous owner wouldn't have gone to that do. He would have had people there at that do, like Bruce Buck and, and maybe Marina, but certainly Bruce Buck. Um, but I think when, when Todd was there, if he's going to have anything, any address to the fans, he should have been standing up and saying it. Um, and that just, to me, spoke a little bit of where we are with their communication. It's all very much written down statements, letter, open letters to fans, little quotes within here and there, rather than actually properly communicating. I don't think they've properly communicated yet. And um, We're 18 months in now, and the 2023, as I've just said, football-wise, has gone completely down the toilet. Couldn't have been, literally, couldn't have been any worse. People within the club openly talk about it being a disaster. Um, and my view is, and not everybody agrees with me, and they don't have to agree with me, is that they should be doing some proper communicating now. Not statements, not written down bits, not in-house media, not Bloomberg on or whoever it is on American stages, no offense to anything American, by the way. Um, But that's how they've communicated so far. They need to communicate properly. They need to speak to people properly. They need to answer questions. They need to talk about what the plan is, why the plan has been, how it is, what their view is on what's happened. Not just say we're still committed to making it a great success. That doesn't mean anything. I'm committed to you know, winning a million pounds on the lottery. It doesn't mean anything saying that. need to say something tangible that people can relate to. The stadium as well. There's so much confusion about what their project actually is now because of how badly it's gone and how much they're sticking to the original projects and how much they're having to pivot. What it means for Pochettino, I don't know whether Pochettino is allowed to finish 10th or 12th or whether he has to finish 6th or 4th. They might not want to put that on record, but we need to talk about it a little bit. I think it's, I, I, I'd go as far as saying I think it's actually a little bit disrespectful to, to supporters to only communicate the way they've been communicating while it's going so badly. People say Abramovich never communicated. Well, one, he did a little bit through Bruce Buck. Bruce Buck would speak to fans. Bruce Buck would, I used to go to an annual thing with Bruce Buck that he did for a while where he would talk. Um, 
Chris Jurisek's not doing that. You know, if Chris Jurisek was doing it, fine. Chris Jurisek can be their spokesman if they want. He's he's chief executive of of Chelsea. He's meant to be managing the day to day. This goes for Chris Jurisek too. So if they want Chris Jurisek to t- talk for them, fine. That's fine. Bruce Buck used to talk for Roman Abramovich, fine. Um, and and the key was is that under the Roman Abramovich, you know ownership even when they went through dodgy spells generally they were winning they were winning trophies they were winning things he didn't have to justify himself well i mean uh, we're just a little bit confused too i think potch kind of brought and it up wise right? and i'm afraid I'm a, this is, yeah i think this has just gone so badly um they do have to explain things but bramovich didn't have to this, this ownership at the moment do have to explain things well i mean they they talked a lot in the beginning this is not a very well-run club this is what we're going to do. We have an identity. I mean, I think that they talked, like Roman never talked. So that's fine, right? He was consistent, but like Bully talked at the beginning. Badad talked. And so like now to not is is tough. We're, we're in this situation of like, I, I, I find myself as a fan going, do I need, should we even be comparing this team to an Antonio Conte, Jose Mourinho, Carlo and Chalotti side? Or are we in a different phase of this club? Let me know. Because all of us as fans and supporters are so frustrated the results aren't there. And what are the ambitions of the club? Like being out of Europe for another year is obviously not a good place to be financially, especially with the money that's gone in. So I think there's very rash concerns. We're just wondering, like, where are we at in this project so we can understand better? Because it is it is completely fractured uh, in terms of, yeah. like, how do we react to these results and potch in these players, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And and also, how do you react to them? How do you react to the sporting directors? How do you react to, to everything? Um, and yeah, and, and I get what you say about they talked a lot to start, but they, they talked within their own... This is why I use the example of the ropes. They talked within the ropes still. They talked within business stuff where it was a couple of questions on Chelsea with no real questions. It was... They talked within pre-written statements and things like that. It was all within the ropes that... They're gonna. They might not, because some owners just never do. But they're gonna have real problems if they never come outside the ropes and communicate with supporters. Because I get the feeling that patience is is getting to the stage where it could really run out among fans, particularly if results carry on, and they could have serious, serious problems with ever trying to wrestle any trust back with people, or or I say trust back, or wrestle any trust. And I think that that would be a real shame, and that's why I think. The time would be right to doesn't have to be an interview with me doesn't have to be an interview with a newspaper it could even be a video on the website they haven't even done a video on the website do you know what i mean or at an event but talk properly not not the script and as i say this is a view some people agree with me some people uh, some journalists agree with me some journalists actually don't think they need to some people within the club probably agree with me some people within the club would probably strongly disagree with me fans certainly some agree some disagree that's my view but yeah it's very confusing and they're, they're leaving Poch in a difficult spot too because he's kind of having to carry the can for everything because he's the only person doing any talking um and it leaves him in a difficult place because no one's really sure what he's being judged against well, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I do want to talk about one more thing on this, and then we'll kind of take a look ahead. But we're going to take our last break. Again, thank you to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, just to kind of tie off on on the club and the owner's piece, you you did have in the last you know 24 hours your piece 
about Chelsea's Anus Oribilis. How did I do? I feel like you studied last. Well, well, yes, yes. Good job you didn't say anus. Some people try to say <laughs> anus Oribilis. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a horrible mistake to make. Yeah, so we, we navigated that. Um, you're saying Chelsea, there's recognition within the club that the 2023 has been a disaster, quote, with Blues facing big dilemma over transfer policy. Are they saying like the calendar year results essentially have been a disaster? Are they saying the transfer policy has been a disaster? Or can you kind of lay that out a little bit? The re- the results and performances. The results and performances. I, I think there's um, recognition, certainly, that the transfer strategy hasn't paid dividends yet. I don't think the word disaster hasn't been used to me directly to the transfer strategy. The word di- disaster has been used directly to me in terms of results, position in the table, lack of progress on the pitch, everything to do with sort of football and, and the results is, is where I've been had it described to me as a, well, an unmitigated disaster. I think the transfer strategy, I think, like I say, is more a recognition that it hasn't uh, yielded the dividends they wanted it to yet. That hasn't directly been described as a disaster, but... The, the key question is, is whether they can carry on with this transfer strategy. Uh, there's actually been a vote today of Premier League clubs to, to stop uh, um, amortisation over five years in the Premier League, which probably does maybe raise question marks about the contract lengths moving forward. The, there wouldn't therefore seem to be any point in giving anybody an eight-year contract moving forward. Um, there'll be nothing to be gained from it. It's not backdated, so they're not in problems over what happened over the summer but they will not be able to spread the cost over eight years ever again or seven years or six years, which then leads you to the, you know, what there's no point moving forward. If they do it, it will just purely be because, well, out of an arrogance really that they, they want to do that because they want to be seen to be different. There's, there's no benefit to now be gained from doing that. So that's interesting. And then secondly, the wage structure itself, they've tried to pivot in 2023 starting in January to pay higher transfer fees for players who basically then come in on lower wages and wage structures to get that wage bill down, which they have done. Um, But they're now at a situation where the players they actually need to add to this squad to make any tangible difference, particularly up front, are not going to fit into that wage structure, not even close, to be honest with you. So they've got a big decision coming up on that because if they... If they won't change that wage structure, then they they can't really pivot from the type of profile of player they they bring in because it's just it's just not you know Ivan Tony for instance isn't going to go anywhere for less than probably two hundred thousand pounds a week and that's Ivan Tony who some people would suggest isn't necessarily even sort of top class if you're looking for a really you know remember Victor Osimhen got offers from Saudi Arabia this summer he and you know nobody's going to expect Chelsea to match what he'd have been offered by Saudi Arabia, but Victor Osman isn't moving anywhere for £100,000 a week, given where he is in his career. No chance. So that's a massive decision coming up for them. Well, yeah, not wrong in any of that sense. It's just, yeah, again, trying to piece all these things together. Um, and then, I, of course, the knock-on effect is, is if you give a striker, if you say to the striker, we're going to make a special case out of you, you can have, because you're a striker and we feel you're a proven goal scorer, you can have... I don't know, 200, 250 grand a week, then like what happens at all clubs, players who moved on very big transfer fees 
in the last year to six months may well want to knock on a few doors about their own wages, even if fans might argue they haven't done anything to justify a wage increase. So, yeah, big decisions, uh, big headaches coming up on that. Um, but, yeah, 2023, I mean, look, it would be a I found it startling when when people were honest enough to actually just say outright it has been a disaster. But I think you could probably say, how do you describe it any other way? Because it has, on every single metric in football, it has been an unmitigated disaster, 2023. What was it, 39 points in 39 matches in 2023? <laughs> 39 points in 39 matches. Of the current Premier League teams, that is the worst that is the worst of any team because Crystal Palace and Forest also have 39 points, but they are currently on 38 games. So their points per game is better. So taking out the clubs who of every Premier League team that's been in the Premier League for the entirety of 2023, Chelsea, as we stand today, are officially the worst. That is official. They are the worst. They would be bottom of the table. Well, good news. I don't like calendar stats because otherwise Harry Harry Kane and Tottenham would have won the league multiple times. So <laughs> it's correct. It's correct. Calendar stats mean nothing in terms of when you talk about what teams should have won and shouldn't have won. Oh, I yeah. think in this in this scenario with where we are with Chelsea and judging how Chelsea's project is going, I do think the calendar stat and I don't usually use them is a relevant stat because yeah. it shows you this isn't a potch. This this can't just be a potch problem. It can't just be a Potter problem. There's something more ingrained here because this has been a, a year-long thing. No doubt. Year and a half? Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, you can you can add the half a year. Although <laughs> that, the actual the half year before it actually does bring it up quite significantly. Because if you remember, it Tuchel didn't seem great, great at the start time. To the run. <laughs> Tuchel, Tuchel was about sixth when he got sacked. And actually, and we talked about this, I think, before we came on air. Weirdly, and history can forget this, Graham Potter actually started really well. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Oh, look, you'll never. You, I will never forget the Milan double. I promise. Yeah. So I promise. So Graham. if you if you put in the, the 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 first six months of that eighteen months, actually, it boosts it up quite a lot. Oh, all right. Interesting. Um, well, we gotta obviously turn around. So uh, here's to twenty twenty four. Am I right? <laughs> quite. Yes. Quite. All right. Well, one of the last things that's kind of uh, very relevant is that. Um, the piece just came out. Chelsea's rivals look to twist the knife by putting Premier League amortization rules on the agenda at today's shareholders meeting. And they confirmed it. The vote passed. And um, apparently Chelsea were one of 15 clubs who voted in favor of it. So a little shithousery. Hey, we're going to go do the thing and I'll stop everyone else from doing it. <laughs> yeah, that that I don't get. Um, yeah, that, that bit I, I don't quite understand if I'm quite honest with you. Um, yeah, I don't know why they would vote in favor of it, but maybe, hey, who knows? Who knows the decision making at Chelsea? Yeah, well, that's that's fair. Um, so apparently it was, um, you can only max out amortization, aka the the fee for signing a player over five years. I think the you can have your contract as long as you yeah. want, but you can only, from accounting purposes and FFP, spread over five years. I could see why you'd still maybe want a seven-year contract if you have a top, top player. Um, it is a little bit different. I think back, you know, before you would do the the break clause, right? Like when Neymar went to PSG for almost a quarter of a billion pounds. Like that's what you do. You just juice up someone's buyout clause. 
I think yeah. teams are realizing like, oh, they're being called on that and they don't like it. So Chelsea have obviously gone long on some of these young players. Um, do, there was apparently 15 clubs va- voted in favor, two against, and three abstentions. So I don't know if you have much of a reaction to that in general. No, look, look, I am surprised. It's while we've been talking that, that those numbers have come out, which is why I wasn't sort of previously aware of them. I am surprised that Chelsea vote in favour because I know for a fact that this was brought up by clubs who were trying to, you know, stop Chelsea doing it again. Um, and there was even a suggestion from some clubs that it should get backdated to the summer because apparently it got first raised in the summer and that was very much seen as a, a move to sort of twist the knife into Chelsea, as it were, and cause Chelsea real problems. The backdating thing, I never really expected to get off the ground because I think you'd have had legal challenges all over the place and problems with that. But um, I am surprised that Chelsea voted in favour. Maybe they just saw the way the, the win direction the wind was blowing and decided there's, there's really no point fighting this we'll, we'll go along with it we feel we can work within these rules um but it does change things for them because as you say you can still give a player whatever you can give a player a 20-year contract but it won't help with the cost i'd be very interested to know whether they could have signed moises caicedo in the summer under these new guidelines whether they could afford to have spread that payment over five years instead of eight years and whether that would have worked for them accounting. I don't know. Like I said, I'd be very interested if someone were to know that. I'm sure now they will claim they could have done, but I'm slightly more sceptical as to whether that deal would have happened under the current rules. Um, But yeah, it's a change and I think we'll still see it. Interestingly, I think as we've spoken as well, that Tottenham have announced that they've actually given Destiny a doggy a seven-year contract. But it's different because they haven't just signed him. So clearly right. that seven-year contract has got nothing to do with the transfer fee. They just want to tie him down for seven years and they've seen enough of him. I think the interesting thing with Destiny Doggy is he didn't come in on a seven-year contract. They've decided after, you know, six months playing for the club and a year out on loan somewhere, they've obviously decided now we're willing to commit to seven years for this guy. So it is a bit different, but it shows it's not just going to immediately stop the long-term contracts, but it does take out the um, the benefit of the transfer fee on them, for sure. Right, and I think part of that is interesting, right? Because let's say you sign someone and then you extend them later. I think that, that there was like a very specific clause in there that it doesn't, but to your point with Udogi, it's just, hey, you've, you've got a young up-and-coming player, you're going to keep him. Because didn't he come from the academy there? He probably didn't have a transfer fee. Uh, no, he didn't come from the academy. He, no. They bought him in. Um, I'd have to check where they bought. They bought him in from Italy as a as a youngster, and he went out on loan last season. Um, but he had a low transfer fee anyway. And as I say, he he was on a much shorter contract to start with than than when he first joined them. Yeah. Um, so they've they've done it the other way. Interesting way of doing it, actually. Maybe maybe we'll see a bit more of that now. Now that it doesn't help with the transfer fee, maybe teams sign players on sort of back to going three, four-year contracts, and then if after a year they're impressed with them, they they take the plunge with the seven or the eight-year contracts. Udinese. There we go. Some quick s- journalisming by me Googling. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's some changes. Is Did you know if there's anything else kind of in this uh, general shareholders meeting or things like this? Was it more of a formality? 
Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about how often these happen, just kind of like the general behind the scenes stuff. And then also you kind of said Boldly was taking active lead in these, trying to really kind of, I don't know, rally the league and kind of progress it forward in different ways. He has in the past. Yeah, he's been quite vocal at them in the past. Um, today, I know, wasn't everybody in person. Some people were in Zoom. Some people were there in person. It wasn't all. Sometimes they're very much everybody flies in from all over the place and, and convenes on the offices and you see them all walking in and out. I think today's with it being near a Christmas and stuff was a little bit uh, sort of less formal, as it were, albeit that this was an important vote put onto the agenda. Um, and yeah, there's, there's not a strict formula to them. You know, some of them can be very, very hardly anybody says anything, very businesslike, get in go through the agenda, any votes on anything, get out. Others, obviously, around COVID and stuff like that. Lots of discussions, sometimes arguments, sometimes fiery. There's certain people who like having their say, Christian Perslow, when he was at Aston, and also before at Chelsea. He treats things as cup final, he loves them, loves chatting, loves taking the stage, well, I say taking the stage, but you know, metaphorically taking the stage. Um I think Bowley has tried to have a sort of impact in them in the past. I don't know whether he's stepped back more. Daniel Levy doesn't say anything in them, apparently. I think people would probably think that Daniel Levy would be very active in them. He's the longest-serving chairman in the Premier League. Apparently never says anything, just sits and, and, and watches and sort of gathers his thoughts. So completely different way of going. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in one of them, but unfortunately we're not allowed access to them. They'd probably make... Sky would broadcast them at the drop of a hat if they could. They'd probably make some great television, um, some great sort of reality television, but they won't be allowed to do that. But yeah, uh, the Premier League held their Christmas due last night. Also, I don't know whether there are a few sore heads from that going into this meeting, but um, I suspect everybody was very professional. Well, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap? I feel like we've covered quite a bit here today, Matt. I think we've got through a lot. I'm just hoping by the next time we talk, there's a little bit more positivity to talk about because uh, there wasn't much today. But yeah, we've got through a lot. Right. Well, yeah, we'll be back together next week is the plan right now. So we might, yeah, we'll see. We've obviously got a match in between now and then. Do we have a cup run too in there? Let's see. We've got Newcastle on the 19th. All right. Well, make sure to go follow Matt. Like I said, we went through four of his articles, so I'm sure you found this stuff interesting. He's got even more on the website over to the Telegraph. Uh, find it through social media. But Matt, really appreciate you. Have a good rest of the week. We'll uh, talk to you after some good vibes and a win at Sheffield. Knock on wood. Fingers crossed. Cheers, Brandon. I'm at that game. So yeah, fingers crossed. Let's see. We need you there. All right, Chelsea fans. Till next time, you need to do keep the blue flag flying high.